you love Jesus today? Oh, that was weak. Don't you love Jesus today? If I could take one song in my entire life and, and sing it, this is the song I would sing for the rest of my life. It's, um, it's my favorite. I've had many tears and sorrows. I've had questions for tomorrow. There have been times I didn't
And he goes on and tells him that some of you are even going to die like I die. 
So the faith that's going to come to me is also going to come to you if you follow me. And when we study history, ten of the original twelve are said to have died by martyrdom. We've got Judas that committed suicide, and then we have John that had to live to see the revelation of Jesus Christ and write to us a wonderful book of revelation to give us insight into the end times and the coming of Christ. So when Paul is writing what I'm reading to you today, understand that he knows that at any moment he could be executed for the gospel that he is preaching. It is very possible that he will be put to death. But though he may face the Roman sword, he is undaunted. That means that he is fearless. He is not intimidated. Do you know many times that's exactly what the old devil tries to do to us, is it not? He tries to intimidate us. He tries to make us fearful. That's why oftentimes when we're going through testing and trials and we're going through hard times, that that old devil shows up and he tries to bring fear into our hearts and he tries to tell us that there's no hope. And he tries to tell us that God's not going to see you out this time. God may have delivered you before, but God is not going to deliver you now. But even though Paul understands all of these things, he looks the devil eyeball to eyeball and he says, God has not given me the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. This guy is not intimidated by the enemy. And even though he may face these things, in our text there are four powerful points that I need you to see that the Apostle Paul teaches us. Verse 19 is where we'll start. And many of you may wonder if it's your first time, you say, why in the world are there projectors that aren't working? It's because lightning struck them. But guess what? We ordered some this week. And so they'll be here. Amen. Thank God. We got some better ones than we had before. Y'all know what Joe felt like now. For I know. As a matter of fact, let me, you know what? I typically have mine at the back back there. I don't even have to think about what I'm doing. But I'm getting smarter. And I printed them off. Because I remember the days when it was a sin to have a projector in the church. Somebody ought to shout hallelujah if you know what I'm talking about. That's the church I come from. We finally got a printer. We were so glad we had to quit handwriting sermons. Philippians 1 verse 19. He, Paul says, for I know that as you pray for me and the spirit of Jesus Christ helps me. This will, notice the wording. There are no questions, no doubts in my mind that this will lead to my deliverance. For I fully expect, did y'all grab the wording? I fully expect and hope that I will never be ashamed, but that I will continue to be bold for Christ as I have been in the past. The first powerful truth that I want you to grab is be confident of your future in Jesus Christ. In my text, this is what the Apostle Paul states to us. That he is certain that his deliverance is on the way. Now, I want you to know something. How many of you have ever prayed for somebody to be healed? Anybody? Have you ever prayed for a miracle in your life? Have you ever prayed and asked God, God, would you please just work this thing out? You're, you're expecting God to do it right here, right now. You watch that one that you love before you as, they, as they're dying day after day and you're praying saying, God, would you deliver them from this? And do you know what our hope is? Our hope is that on this side that God will deliver them and that they'll get up and walk and be healed, right? Sickness gone, cancer's gone. That is what 
we desire. And I want you to know we do serve a God that is able to do it. I have seen God do that. So don't doubt for one minute that God is not able because God is well able. But here's the deal. Sometimes God doesn't do it. Does it mean that that individual has not been delivered from their sickness? They are more delivered at that moment if they are in Christ than they would be if God had healed them on this earth. Because if God had healed them on this earth, guess what? They would have got sick again. There would have been so much trouble that hit them again. But when they get to the other side, it is done once and for all, forevermore. They are at peace with Jesus. But the fact is, God led them to their deliverance. When I read about the Apostle Paul here, this is what I find in, in my text. He says that God is going to deliver me in one or two ways. Number one, either he is going to deliver me from these chains through the acquittal of the law and the court of law. In other words, they're going to say, Paul, you're not guilty. They're going to beat him with a few stripes and then they're going to send him on his way. Say, don't preach anymore. He's going to say, whatever, I'm going to do it today. They're going to lock it back up. But that's one way that he said, God is going to break me out of these chains. The second way, he said, I'm going to be found guilty before men and before the court of law. But when they kill me and when they do away with me, when I am sentenced, I am going to be taken to heaven. And I'm going to live with Jesus Christ forevermore. Either way, my salvation is certain. My future is secure. I need so that chains will not bind me forever. I will be set free. This is what this is really touching to me. I've said it before, I'll say it again. We think we know what persecution is. We have no idea what persecution means. We are in a what culture that everything you say offends everybody. Right? Anybody know what I'm talking about? I'm afraid in some cases us church folks, we went woke in the sense that our feelings get hurt so easy. Somebody walks up to us, oh, why do you go to church? You're one of those weird people because you go to church. And it takes us three weeks to get over it. And we wonder if we're going to be able to make it or not. God help us. That is not persecution. Persecution is what the Apostle Paul knows. He's been bitten by serpents that are venomous. Nearly killed him had not God come through for him. He has been put in jail more times than my fingers can even number because he lives there basically. Hallelujah to God. This man has been shipwrecked so many times. I mean, this guy knows what persecution is. I remember we had a guy at my home church. I'll never forget. I was about 14, 15 years old. And he was from India. He's preaching this sermon. I mean, he just wearing it out. That guy was preaching just as hard as he could. Everybody shouting, you know, back then. You couldn't hardly hear the preacher preach because there was so much shouting going on. You, you, you got home and you said, what did the preacher preach? But I had no idea, but it was really good. <laughs> we shouted the whole time that man screamed in that night. I remember that man was just preaching just as hard as he could. And as he was preaching, something white fell out of his mouth. I thought, uh-huh. My pastor walked by and made me spit out my bubble gum in church. You really in trouble now, buddy. But guess what? It wasn't gum. It was his front tooth. His front tooth. Now, for us Americans, if that happened to me right now, I'd be so broken. I'd be like, oh, God, you're protecting me. 
the gospel, somebody got mad and punched my tooth out. Talk about persecution. They know what persecution is. The apostle Paul knows. But then there are two powerful tools that he shows us in my text, especially in verse 19, that helped him and fortified and strengthened his confidence in the fact that he could be confident in his future that Christ was going to take care of him even in the midst of his persecution. The first thing that he said is the prayers of the saints. The church has been praying, and because of that, I know that God is going to bring me through. I want to tell somebody today that prayer still works. You may not feel like it's working. You may not see it working. But I want to tell you, keep on praying because God have confidence in your Lord. Have confidence in what He said. Have confidence in what He's promised. Don't you dare quit praying now. Your answer's on the way. When the Apostle Peter was in prison, being persecuted, the Bible said the church prayed and he got out of there. There's a knock on the door. Rhoda says it's Peter. They say, you're crazy, girl. To which they go look, and sure enough, it is Peter. Paul was in prison, him and Silas. But at midnight, they begin to sing, and they begin to pray, and they begin to give some praises to God. And at midnight, there's a jailhouse rock that takes place, and their chains are falling off their fetters. My God. And they walk out of there free men. Why? Because prayer still works, folks. Paul goes on and says, I have the provision of the Spirit. I have the provision of the Spirit. I was reading in my Bible the other day how that Jesus told the disciples, you may recall this with me. But he's telling them, he said, things are going to get bad for you. He said, the world, as they have hated you, they are going to, as they have hated me, they're going to hate you. He told his disciples, he said, they will persecute you. They will say all kinds of things and matters of evil against you. They'll falsely accuse you of doing things you didn't even do. All right, y'all ready for this? But when you get in the court, she said, do not hire a lawyer. But Lord, we're fishermen. We're ignorant men. We never got any degrees in law. We don't know the law. We just fish and, and, and we just started learning how to preach. You've been teaching. We're trying to learn how to preach. What you mean don't hire a lawyer? He said because when you get in there and when they begin to talk against you and say things about you and they begin to persecute you, he said you just wait because in that moment that you don't know what to say, you just hold your peace because the Holy Ghost is on the way. The Spirit is going to bring provision for you. And all of a sudden, you didn't even know you knew. Because the Spirit is going to speak through you. I am confident in my future, Paul says, because number one, I know the saints are praying. Number two, I know the Spirit is going to provide. Verse 20, let's go on with the rest of it. As I have been in the past, and I trust that my life will bring honor to Christ whether I live or die. For to me, Living means living for Christ. And dying, that is even better. Point number two. He teaches us that we ought to yearn to see Jesus. 
Does anybody understand that? Paul makes it clear in these scriptures. I was about to point to that screen. I'm sorry. To this screen. Paul makes it clear in these scriptures that he yearns to see Jesus Christ. Do you know what the word yearn means? It means a craving. Scott, there's a guy laying in his bed about 11 o'clock at night. There's a lady beside him that says, Honey, I want some of that mint chocolate chip ice cream. To which he replies to her, Honey, you don't like chocolate mint ice cream. But yet, he gets up and he puts his clothes on and he heads to Walmart. They're the only place in them. He gets home a little after 12. He gets a bowl. He puts some mint chocolate ice cream in it. He takes it to the bed with a spoon. He basically hand feeds her. You're not dealing with an ordinary woman. You're dealing with a pregnant woman. And pregnant women have cravings. And when they have that craving, they tell me, I've never been pregnant because I'm a man. Don't even make me preach right now, Phyllis. <laughs> Don't you dare say amen. See, there we go. I'm going on. I'm a man, but I can tell you one thing I've been told. And that is that women, when they have that craving, that they have absolutely got to have it. I don't care if it's something they don't even like. When they begin to yearn for it and crave. Well, I want to tell you, I want to God that we, the church, would grab a hold of what's going on in our world and recognize that this salvation that we've got, this future that is secure, this confidence we have in Jesus Christ, there ought to be a craving in us, a yearning in us that says, my God, I want to leave this whole world behind. I want to go to a better place called heaven. I have got to see Jesus. So we preach our funeral services. We tell our people death is not the end of life. Rather, it is the very beginning of life. Can you say that? The Good News Translation said it this way. It is written for what is life. To me, it is Christ. In other words, life is Christ. I love that. And the reason I love that is what he's trying to say is if you take Christ out of my life, then life isn't worth living at all. Now, I know this world thinks, oh my goodness, they're living it up and all this kind of stuff. I'm going to tell you something. This life has nothing to offer us. All it has to offer us is heartache and pain. That's all it will ever get if we dabble in sin. All that sin will last is for a season. It ultimately leads to death. But the gift of God leads to eternal life. Let me tell somebody today. It is time that we get ready and yearn for Jesus Christ more than we ever have before. Paul tells us it's important. But he says, if I die, it is even better. Death will even bring more to me. In short, and I know it's hard, but death in Paul's eyes is a good thing. Not from believers. Everybody's not going to heaven. Please get the memo out. Everybody's not going to heaven. Everybody that says, Lord, Lord, isn't saved. Get back in my notes. But for the believers... To be absent from this body, Paul said, is to be present with the Lord. It is like that old song we used to sing. Oh, I want to 
seam. I want to look upon his face there to see forever of his grace on the streets of glory. Let me lift my voice. Cares are all past. I'm home at last heaven to rejoice. I'm telling somebody, we need to get like the Apostle Paul. And we need to live like we're ready to die. And say all I can think about anymore is a place called heaven. All I can think about anymore is a man named Jesus. I don't know about you, but this world is getting old for me. This world is getting crazy for me. I'm about ready to go see Jesus. Thirdly, verse 22. But if this word is good. But if I live, I can do more fruitful work for Christ. So I really don't know which is better. I am torn between two desires. I long, I crave, there's an urge in me. Right? So I, I really don't know which is better. I long to go be with Christ, which would be far better for who? For me. So as Paul is saying, be committed to fruitfully laboring for Christ. The one thing, and this is where I want you to grab what I'm about to say. The one thing that the Apostle Paul speaks of in our verse is that he has a fruitful labor for Jesus Christ. What is fruit? See, that's a lot more, folks, than coming to church on Sunday. Being a fruitful laborer for Christ is more than a Wednesday night Bible study. Being fruitful for Christ is making a real difference in the lives of other people. Can, can I go ahead and just say it while I'm on the road? We get the mentality that, oh my gosh, we pay people to do stuff and, and we pay pastors to deal with this and deal with that and their staff, they can deal with that. But I want to ask you a question. Whatever happened to the day that the body of Christ was just the body of Christ? Whatever happened to the day that a church member felt a burden and a concern for another church member and picked up a phone and said, let me call up right now. I don't know why they're on my heart, but I've been praying for them. I don't know what God's trying to say, but I'm going to call them. And when you call them, you begin to speak over their life. And you say, I don't know what God's up to, but I've been praying for you. And I need you to know that. Whatever happened to that? That is fruitfully laboring for Christ. Every one of us have been called to do it. Whether we hold a rank, whether we hold a title, whether we hold a position, we have been called to change the world and those around us for Jesus Christ. We are to bear fruit. Look, look, look at Matthew 7. Alright, let's go. Matthew 7, 17. Is it up there? Matthew 7. Watch this. A good tree produces good fruit. A bad tree produces bad fruit. If you understand that, say amen. That's pretty simple. All right, let's go. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit. A bad tree cannot produce good fruit. If you, amen. Everybody's still with So every tree that does not produce good fruit, I'll chop it down, throw it in the fire. Yes, just as you can identify a tree by its fruit.
here on earth to labor with them. To labor for their sake. Now, I, I'm not going to say it one time because did, did y'all catch that or, or did you miss it? it it's really that. Anybody ever heard of the mic drop moment? And the mic falls. You know those moments? It's a wow moment. This is it. Paul had a drop mic moment when he said, I long to be with Christ, but it is more important for the church in Philippi that I remain with you and labor for your sake. Now, now some of you are sitting here thinking, oh my gosh, what, what in the world is the big deal about it? I want you to take a moment and reflect on your labor in your church. Just let it say, somebody said, Pastor, you're going to pasture today. We just need evangelism. Well, I'm going pasture today, all right? When you reflect on your life, what is your labor in your church? See, now, I will never forget. I was a kid. I was a little fella. And I never understood it. It would be Thursday nights. And my mother would say, Jim, we got to stay after tonight to clean the church. I've scrubbed church toilets. I've done all that stuff. I've vacuumed. Well, that's why if I walk around and see something on the floor, I grab a vacuum cleaner immediately. It must be dealt with now. It must be my man. But I remember we had to stay over after church and we mopped and we swept and we cleaned toilets and we did all of that. And I'm sitting there thinking, Mama, why are you doing that? And she said, well, it's our week. I volunteer. We're letting people clean the church once every week. I'm like, well, we did it last week. That's fine. So they didn't have enough people that were signing up for it. Well, don't, everybody, don't everybody shut up once here. We'll have another call them in if you need one. Nobody didn't sign up for it. Do you understand that what I learned about my mother watching her was simply this? As a young man, I learned it. And pastoring, I learned it too. You couldn't replace her. Are, are you ready for this? You could not replace an Ann Purdue in her local church. Right, is anybody grabbing the mic drop on the chat? Is anybody with me yet? Can you get some out the cup? In other words, what I'm trying to tell you is to the pastor of that church, to that local body, my mother had become to her church. Like a second father, Ray Wimmer was, was invaluable to our church. He's the one. He unlocked all the doors every single He always cut the grass. And then when I got old enough to do it, me and his sons, he dropped us off after school. We do half a day on Friday. So I got dropped off for the other half of the day to go out and cut the church grass. They were trying to teach us a valuable lesson. I didn't see it then. I see it now. They were trying to teach me to become invaluable in your church. Whatever needs to be done, you get it done. Because, see, I, I, I need somebody to grab this. This is a night drop moment. How would your departure from this life affect your church? It just failed. That was the moment I've been waiting for. And some of you still ain't got it. How would it, what would happen today if we got the dreaded phone call and said so-and-so has passed away? Would we have to 
old lady, but she had the power of the Holy Ghost. And he talked about when he was sick and praying, God, let me speak in tongues like everybody else. I, I want the gift of, of tongues. I want the Holy Ghost to come on me. And I want to speak in tongues too. Other people are. Give me that gift. And Sister Johnson walked by and he said, I was crawling on all floors across the front, asking God to baptize me. And said, I felt those bony hands, those bony fingers come over my back. He said, when they came over my back, all I knew is that was Sister Johnson.
to the entrance of a school called Wheaton College. There's a sign at the entrance that reads this, and I quote, For Christ and His kingdom. That's what life is about. For Christ and His kingdom. Our lifetime on earth is represented by a dash on our cemetery headstones. Have you ever seen it? It is brief when we leave this earth and we spend eternity with Jesus. Will we have lived as Paul lived? Will we have lived for Christ and for his kingdom? Have we changed the world? We take four principles to heart. We're confident in our future in Christ. We yearn to see Jesus. We're committed to faithfully laboring for Christ, fruitfully laboring. But we're also committed to serving our church for Christ. And if that means we've got to stay here a little longer to do it, then so be it. Having done these four things, we will not be ashamed of that dash, of that dash on our gravestones. See, the question of the dash is very simple. I'll have 1983 through, and then it will be the year of my death. What really matters is the dash. What really matters is what happened in the middle. Everybody still with me? What happened in the middle of my life? What did he do? And sometimes I look back. What difference did he make in the world? What difference did he make in the church? And I often find myself asking that very same question. What difference have I made? I find myself asking oftentimes, have I made any difference at all? Perhaps we all need to ask that question today. If we aren't making a real difference, then it's time for us to start. We have to live a life so we're ready to die. And if Christ wants to keep us here, for just a little longer, then so be it. But if God is going to lead me here, Johnny Thomas, then I want to make a difference. I am in the dash. I used to pray in cemeteries all the time. I'm close. I used to, I used to pray in cemeteries all the time. And I walked around. It was amazing because you'd see little tiny headstones and you'd see babies. Like sometimes it was one year. But every now and then, Scott, they, there's people that are crazy enough to go ahead and plan for their funerals. I'm sorry, some of y'all already have, haven't you? Good luck with that. I'm not hungry when I die. I just preach to God all the way. Let's shout. Hallelujah. He's got He's on the other side. All right? But some people set up everything. And some people can go far behind. And I'm not going to do it because I'm not a superstitious man. But I don't want some some tombstone out there with my name on it already, all right? I'm just going to say it the way it is. I just don't feel comfortable with it. You can. I don't care what you do. I ain't doing it. And I walk around there, and I've seen, I've seen husbands and wives, and that's why a lot of times they have it, because the husband and wife, they put their tombstone together because the wife passes, and the, husband, the wife and husband has already gotten theirs, and they're ready, you know, be laid to rest right there beside them. I get the point. And I sit in there, your husband or wife, 19 so and so, 19 so and so, or 2000, whatever. But every now and then you walk around and you'll see 19, you know, whatever, we'll use the 19, you know, let's use 20, let's use 
Let's use 1980, all right? 1980. You should still be alive at that point, right? 1980 through. And then this part is blank. That means, Angie, that their life is still being lived. And I want to tell somebody in this, I want to tell everybody in this house today that whether you've got a tombstone and you're one of those people and it's already in the, in, in the ground waiting for you to be laid to rest, if it's already there, so be it. But let me tell every one of you right now in this minute, we are in the dash. What difference are we making right now? We can kick the can down the road and say, let our children deal with that. Let our grandchildren deal with that. I say hogwash with that mess. If we're going to be here, let's make a difference for the kingdom of God. Let's do something great that we can die and be proud of how we lived. Let's all stand. I'm closing. Father, I thank you. Oh, I praise you. I thank you.
the prayers of the saints, the provision of the Holy Spirit in our lives to go forth and do exactly what you have called us and appointed us and anointed us to do. We'll praise you for it in the name of Jesus Christ.